Uh, the passage that I've read and then I'm going to preach from tonight, I've joked with Andy. That this is, I think, my favorite passage. I mean, I like all of the Bible, but there's something about this. Of course, I like all the Bible that I've just always loved this picture. And the scene here before us this evening is what I would like to think of as simply the family secrets, if you will, of us who are followers of Jesus when I've spent the day with Andy and uh, over the over the course of the years, he tells me all kind of stories of his growing up in Scotland and whatnot, and I get to know him more as I know his stories. Uh, a joke I like to tell is when I met my soon-to-be father-in-law, it's almost 30 years ago now, uh, when I met him in his hometown, he's from a very, very, very small town in Kentucky, but he's kind of the uh, mayor, if you will, of that town. He spent most of the first year of me getting to know him, introducing me into all of the family secrets. If I was going to marry his daughter, I needed to know all that was true of the entire family. I think there's a picture here tonight of how well do you know the secrets of the family of God? How well do you know the ancient mysteries, the great stories that have been passed down from generation upon generation? Do you know the love and the power of the secrets of life inside of God's kingdom? I think as we learn more that is true of our relationship with Christ in passages that we don't normally read, the more intimate we will live with our Savior. And I hope that will be the case tonight as we look at this. We are going to see some of the secrets of life inside of God's kingdom as the Old Testament anticipates the coming of Jesus. And just as I prayed this morning, I pray tonight that you will be encouraged by what God's word says to us. In this passage, we see a tracing of God's kingdom in the Old Testament by examining the unfolding of God's blessing through each of these Old Testament books. Before we look at this particular text, if you're familiar with Deuteronomy, you know that one of the heartbeats of the passage of the entire book is that these are the things that you're to teach to your children. The covenant promises are always generation upon generation upon generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says to teach these to your children diligently. So when we get to Deuteronomy 11, this would be one of those things that the children of the church were to be taught. So here's the picture. As Moses is writing to train God's people about life inside of God's world, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives this command to teach your children diligently at home, at play, on holiday, while on walks. Make it part of your life. Constantly be talking about what is true of the Lord. Constantly be talking about what is true of our life inside of his kingdom. And that was the call of God's people, and it's still our call today, to always be pouring into the next generation. So I think the question becomes for us, as it was with this first generation of Israelites, what exactly are we to teach the next generation. For this evening, I want us to think about briefly the land of Israel and let the land itself serve as a metaphor, if you will, of what life inside of God's kingdom is all about. And as you see, a few of these features of God's land, his Old Testament land, our life in Christ will make so much more sense. And I think it is beautiful. The land illustrates the life. Uh, for me, this shows just the beauty of the Old Testament and how the gospel of Jesus is preached to us there. So let me share three highlights of the land of Israel to see the secrets of the kingdom that it would spur our hearts and our discipleship of Jesus. First, know the secrets of our past. Know the secrets of our past. 
That is, our life today is different than what our heritage could have been. Verse 10, again, the Old Testament land is the instructor. If you remember the story of the Old Testament, the great drama was the exodus of God's people out of Egypt and into the promised land. How God raised up Moses as the great prophet to speak to Pharaoh and to tell him the people of God are leaving this life and moving into a new place of worship. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And after the plagues and the people of God left Egypt by passing through the Red Sea and now... They were rescued from Egypt and placed in an area to enjoy God's blessing. And it was through the waters of the sea that they passed into this life of deliverance. But here is what must be understood. The Israelites' life while in Egypt was characterized by their slavery. That's what their former life was like. It was a horrible life in Egypt. They were the labor force. It was ongoing misery year after year after year for generations. Their past was one of bondage. Their past was one of captivity. Now there was a place where they would work with no hope of rest, no Sabbath, no worship of Yahweh. It was not a life of blessing, but a life in need of a savior. And throughout scripture, whenever Egypt is mentioned, whenever life of slavery in Egypt was mentioned, it helps us understand what our life apart from Christ was like. Do you know what your life apart from Jesus is? Apart from the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're captives. We live in slavery. We live in bondage to sin. We try to make sense of that life, but it will never make sense because God's design for us as, as his image bears is to enjoy the relationship with God that we have. You see, the secret of our life in Christ is we need to know from where we have come. He has taken out of slavery and moved us into a place of a redeemer. I love the passage that Andy read for us in Ephesians 8 and 9. For by grace we have been saved through faith. Remember, it was God's initiative to give grace to us. You were dead in your trespasses. This is our past. But if we're going to celebrate our life in Christ today, we need to remember what our life was like. R.C. Sproul, the late theologian who many of you perhaps have read over the years, he says this about the place of spiritual slavery. He says that the fallen person is at enmity with God. He is never in a neutral state. He is a fugitive from God. He refuses to have God in his thinking. Fallen people need a heart change. Do you know your past? And I would simply say to you this evening, if you have not put your faith in Christ, understand this is where you are now. And God has invited you to come out. So this is what is true of those who don't know Jesus. The truth of our past, of you and me, we were enemies of God. We were lost. We were fugitives. We hated God's ways. We were in need of liberation. We were bound in and by sin. We were separated from God and his love. We have a past. It was horrible. But our past is over. But let the picture of a new land fuel your imagination of a new life that you have in Christ, where God has brought us, quote, from Deuteronomy, is not like the land we came from. 
No, now we have a new home where we can enjoy the relationship God designed for us. We must embrace and we must tell our children the story of our lives is that God has rescued us from our life of sin. He has taken us away from our past and he has moved us into a place of hope. Hope of a savior. Hope of having our names known by the Lord and he has made it possible. You see, Moses wanted the Israelites to know this difference. So that they would constantly recognize that freed slaves now live differently. Freedom allows for a whole new way of life. Can you this evening celebrate your freedom? Your past is over. Now you are in Christ and you are alive. As I've considered this great doctrine of deliverance, I believe one of the greatest dangers facing our children, I say that from our church and our context, perhaps it's true here as well, is that even though we teach them the truth of our spiritual heritage of a life of sin, I fear what they see from us is an ongoing love affair with our past life. Do you remember the plight of the Israelites after God took them out of Egypt, moved them toward the direction of the promised land? What was their constant refrain? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Their ongoing desire was, even though God had delivered them and set them free, they wanted to go back. They wanted to go back to slavery. They failed to embrace the beauty of their new position. In some way, they aimed to make the case that their life was easier apart from God than with him. I beg you to see, that is never true. It is never true. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. So my prayer for all of us this evening is that we will love the life that Jesus has purchased for us. Aren't we prone to join the Israelites, to think of God's deliverance of us as nice, but not revolutionary? We need to teach our own hearts before we teach our children that we are people who have been rescued because of God's love for us. That Jesus has a whole new way of life for us that is beyond what we could ever attain on this earth. He is our creator. We are made in his image. There is nothing more important than for us to enjoy what he has made for us. Friends, are you holding on to sin this evening? Are you holding on to your old way of life? Or do you embrace the fact that you have a new heritage? May we all this day hate our old way of life of sin and love what Jesus has for us. This picture of the secret of our kingdom is your new way of life is not like your old way. It's new. It's different. The land reveals that something has changed and it's good. Second feature of this land that I'll mention to you this evening in hopes of spurring your faith in Christ is to remember our inabilities. It's a strange way of saying of being encouraged, but I really believe you could be encouraged this evening by what you can't do. This is my favorite part of the whole passage. We need to believe this. We need to teach this. 
What we cannot do inside of this new way of life of ours, it's great. Look back at verses 10 and 11 and notice the contrast from Egypt to the promised land in terms of the supply of water. This seems strange, but it'll make sense. It's fascinating. Keep in mind, this was obviously an agrarian culture and the Israelites were no different. They farmed, they raised animals, they raised crops, etc. The worst thing for their survival would have been a drought. And you see that fear and that threat repeated throughout the Old Testament. Not completely different from today, actually. In the Israelites' old way of life in Egypt, the land was such that the crops could have been irrigated. It would have been hard work, but they could have manually brought water to their crops to provide the irrigation. The topography was such by rivers and streams that one could labor to make your plants grow. But now notice, and catch this trick, what is the promised land like? Quote, it is a land of hills and valleys. You know what that means? It means it was physically impossible to irrigate your crops. Water could not get to your crops apart from one way and one way only. And that would be if God sent rain. Do you see the difference? The supply of water in their day determined their survival. Without water, everyone died. They farmed in both places, but now inside the life created for their prosperity, they could not make their crops grow with their labor. They had to live by faith that God would provide. It was not possible to produce their own success. Only God could do it. So here's the deal for us. Israel's land was strategically designed by God from all eternity, sovereignly positioned where survival was completely dependent upon God sending rain. They had no physical ability whatsoever to produce the very thing required for survival. So think about it this evening. God could have positioned his people in any climate on earth, in any system on earth, and he chose the one where they had to live by faith in him for every single thing, including their survival. Again, the land informs our theology. Folks, we live by faith every single day in the person of Jesus. By his spirit, through his word, with our fellowship with each other, this is our life. It's how we function. It's how God has designed us. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing. It is good. Church, this is who we have always been. This is nothing new. We have been living by faith always. It was not an accident that irrigation was impossible. It was God's design. So here's the principle. The blessing of belonging to the king's family is revealed by the ongoing provision for his people. God provides for us. God provides. That's why we pray for babies who are having surgery. That's why we pray for each other. That's why we live as each other's ministers and priests. It's why we lift each other up in prayer and word and deed. 
A life by faith did not mean that they were lazy. It did not mean that they did not do their duty of farming. No, rather it meant that success comes from God's grace. This church, if it will be successful, it will be because of, yes, hard work, but only if the Lord provides success. The warning for God's people is do you think your effort to be successful is better than what God can sovereignly provide for you? The answer is no. If you are trusting the Lord to provide a mate, if you're trusting the Lord to provide income, if you're trusting the Lord to provide a future, then put all of your faith in him and trust his providence. I want us to see this evening, this is not just a lesson about farming in Israel. This illustration of the land reveals our way of life in every single aspect of our life. When I was a freshman in college, I went to a campus ministry at the University of Tennessee. And this particular ministry was not one that I attended very often. I just was there on a random Thursday night. And the speaker stood up and said, I don't remember the passage used. I don't remember anything about this sermon. But what I remember the pastor saying is, quote, and I'd never heard this, is that God is intimately concerned with every detail of your life. Not as a threat, but as a promise of blessing. And I remember leaving. Is that true? Does God actually care about me? Does God really desire my good? Does God even know who I am? And scripture says, oh yes. He knows everything about us. He cares for us. This illustration of the land reveals our way of life in all regards. As his adopted children into his family, God provides our needs in all ways. It's included in the very prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he said that we ask for our daily bread. All that we need every day, we ask for him. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all of our lives are filled with stories of those who think they can create a life better than the one that God has for us. The Old Testament kings of Israel are mostly one sad account after another of turning from God and trusting in self with a horrible result. The Baal worship of God, I'm sorry, the Baal worship of the Israelite kings was a horrible pagan practice trying to convince the God of Baal to send rain on the earth rather than calling out to the sovereign Lord of the universe. And the temptation is the same in our lives, and that is to think that we can produce a greater blessing on our lives rather than to wait and to trust God for his perfect timing and his perfect blessing. See, just as we cannot deliver ourselves out of sin, we need Jesus to do that. Just as we cannot make our lives successful, we need Jesus to do that, to live by faith, to live in him, to trust him. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But you see, apart from him, we can do nothing. So therefore, with him, there is nothing that we cannot do that he has not designed for us to do. But you see, here's what happens in our life when we trust the Lord for him to provide the rain, for him to provide the success, for him to provide the blessing. 
Who gets credit for the success? It's not us. But we return every Sunday and we give credit to the one who is our king, the one who is our savior. When we see his provision, we bless him. So Christian, I ask you today, if you have trusted in him to, to bring you into this new land, are you trusting him to supply all of your needs? He will provide in his way, in his timing. I don't know all the particular needs of your life this evening, but I know that he does. And I know that he is trustworthy and you can depend upon him. My suspicion for every one of us is that there are issues within your own home, your work, your family, that there's pain that no one knows about, that there's abuse that no one knows about, that there's financial stress, that there's brokenness, that there's sadness, there's issues of wayward children, whatever the case may be. I beg you to see, bring that all to the Lord. He knows, he cares, he desires for you. So the first secret we see is we have a whole new way of life. The second secret we see is that he provides all the blessing in our life. The last secret I'll mention tonight is from verse 12. And we'll close with this. This last picture here from the land and forming our lives is to be super encouraging. Yes, this land could not be irrigated. Yes, this land could not be worked. Yes, this land is brand new. But this land is a place that God's eyes are upon. Notice what God is constantly doing upon this land. His eyes are on us. He never takes them away. The Lord, the God of heaven and earth, loves us in such a way that his eyes are fixed on his people. Not only does he see, but he cares. So if you are in Christ this evening, that means God the Father looks upon you with great compassion because you are his children. His eyes are on you. Yes, you do not have to be afraid of him anymore. No, rather you rejoice in the fact that you belong to him. These are the secrets of our kingdom and the Old Testament land reveals more and more and more. But maybe may we be encouraged this evening to know we're never alone, but our Lord is with us. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. We are his. Amen. Amen. Let me pray and we will close with singing. Father, I praise you this evening for the reality of what is true, and that is we belong to you. Lord, your entire scripture is bursting forth with these promises of our life in Christ and how it has just begun on this earth and for all of eternity we'll be falling more in love with you. So, Lord, I pray for everyone who has heard these words this evening Father, I pray that they would believe your promises. They would believe that you are good, that they would build their life upon you and trust you in all ways. Father, thank you that you see us tonight all over the world, your people, you see in Christ. We praise you for this now. In Jesus' name, amen.